Welcome to episode 573 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard, and this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. Well, it's another solo episode for me this week, no Richard. You know, actually what happened was Richard said he's boycotting the show. He refuses to be on until it can be just him and Jen. No, that's that's not actually what happened, although that would be kind of funny. No, he's he's actually just very, very busy tonight. It schedules just didn't work out, so uh, it's just me this week, and I, I, I think we'll be all right. So we do have a little bit of listener feedback. We actually got a couple of pieces of feedback, but one of them is more of a question for Richard, so... Tony, your question is going to have to wait another week. So these both came in to us via email. Our address is entertainment20 at thedigitalmediazone.com. Some of you will recognize the name of the person who sent this one in. It's Phil Churchill. You might remember him from the days when he ran mswhs.com, one of the very popular Windows home server blogs for quite a few years, very well known in the community. Well, he wrote in to say that he also bought an LG OLED TV as as part of the the Black Friday deals. Instead, he got the LG G1. I got the C1. The main reason he got the G1 is just it had a a couple years extra warranty coverage on it. Uh I I got a few extra years of warranty coverage on mine as part of my Costco deal. So uh, that's that's why I was able to get the the C1 at at the price that I did and and why I chose that over the G1. So that's already great. But he also has his hooked up to a Sonos Arc soundbar, a Sonos Gen 3 subwoofer, and two Sonos 1s as his surround speakers. So that's a pretty awesome audio setup, but his setup doesn't end there. He's also got a plethora of Philips Hue lighting products, all connected through a Philips Play HDMI sync box. And he actually recorded a a video of, of his setup and threw it up on YouTube so that you could see the light show that he is treated to through all of this Philips Hue goodness. So we'll have a link to that video up on YouTube in the show notes. Uh, Phil, I got to say, I'm a little bit, little bit jealous that, that that looks pretty, pretty awesome. So congratulations on that. He also recommended a particular YouTube video for calibration settings. Uh, I've also received some from our, our friend Rob H over at the AV Rant podcast. So uh, plenty, plenty of good calibration setting YouTube videos out there. All right. And with that, let's move on to the news. First up this week is news from the Digital Media Zone. You might have heard of that site. So we actually just just today, the day that I'm recording this episode, posted our review of the sound send. I talked about this a couple of episodes ago after getting my initial hands on with it. The the sound send is from WISA, which is the Wireless Speaker Association. And 
it's it's a small you know device that kind of looks like a, a large hockey puck that plugs in via USB for power, and then it's got an HDMI out or an optical audio output on it. And the way this works is you plug that HDMI cable between the the Weiss Sound Send and an HDMI input on your TV that supports ARC audio return channel or EARC. And then this device will wirelessly connect with any of the WISA wireless speakers that you might have in your house. So for us, we we used the speakers from Axum. And I got to say, like this, this review went really, really smoothly, especially when I hooked it up to the LG C1 OLED TV. This it it just worked beautifully. the The setup was simple, which is really what they're going for. the 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 sound send, uh, I, I in my opinion, that w- what they're going for here is the the power and the flexibility that you get out of a regular surround sound system, but with the simplicity of a sound bar, because all it really takes to set up is plugging the HDMI cable into an ARC port, which is exactly what I've done for sound bars in the past. And then there's obviously a little bit of extra configuration, which you just do through a smartphone app. The, the Weiss SoundSend app on, uh, on your phone controls all of the extra goodies. So you'll absolutely need it to configure speaker placement because while it's perfectly capable of automatically discovering all of the wireless speakers that you've got, it doesn't really have any way of knowing where they are, so it just takes a guess and, and throws them into your arrangement. And then you can use the app to play a test tone from the speakers, and then you can use the app to rearrange where they are so that the speaker that's at the front left of your home theater is the one that's receiving the front left channel audio from whatever it is that you're watching. You can also use the app to configure your distances from where the speakers are, from where your ideal seating position is, so that it can help calibrate those very minute delays so that all of the sounds are reaching your ears at the appropriate times. And then there, there's other things that you can calibrate inside of the application also. But you don't really need it much. I, I, I basically set this up once. I use the app occasionally for various review purposes just to to test some other things out and stuff, but it's basically an app that you can use once to set things up and then never really touch it again and just use your TV remote for controlling the volume. That's really one of the things that I love the most about this arrangement is no AV receiver means you don't have another device and another remote control to deal with. And because of the speakers are wireless, you don't need to run speaker wire all over your home theater or your living room or wherever you've got this set up. You just plug the speakers into power. They've got amplifiers built in, so you just have a single power cable coming out of the back of each of these speakers. And in most modern homes, you are not lacking for power outlets around your room. So that's probably not going to be an issue for most people. The 
SoundSend device specifically supports up to eight channels of audio. So you could do a 7.1 arrangement or you could do a 5.1.2 arrangement where you've got the, the five typical speakers, the one subwoofer and two Atmos speakers because it does fully support basically all of the Dolby codecs, including Dolby Atmos. So you can get your height audio out of out of an Atmos arrangement also. The one downside to the SoundSend is that it does not support DTS audio. And as a quick recap, DTS is different than Dolby. I I think we are used to seeing Dolby and DTS on so many AV products, especially receivers, that we start to just mash them together in our heads and think that DTS is a Dolby thing. It's not. It's a separate codec developed by a different organization from Dolby. So what happens is when when you attempt to play something that, that's DTS, you're still going to hear audio. It, it does, you know, not supporting it doesn't mean that you just won't hear anything if it's encoded in DTS. Now, instead, what it does is instead of it being a 5.1 mix or something like that, depending on, on what you're watching, the sound send will just down mix it into a stereo output and then it just sends that stereo signal out to all of the speakers. So it's still utilizing all of your speakers, including the subwoofer, but not in the ideal ways. You're not going to get a true surround sound experience from content that's only available in DTS. There are some workarounds to that. There are some Blu-ray players that can transcode from DTS into Dolby. Another popular device that we talk about pretty much every episode around here, the Xbox has an option of transcoding any DTS audio into Dolby audio. So then you're going to get all of the discrete channels as you would expect. So I don't think the DTS, the the lack of DTS support is a deal breaker because you're, you're still getting most of what you're looking for there. And there just isn't as much DTS content out there. By and large, Dolby owns the game when it comes to surround sound. Basically, anything that you're watching on TV that's in surround sound is using Dolby. Most movies out there, they're using Dolby. It's just the preferred format for surround sound audio. So I don't think it's it's a huge deal there unless... You know, all of your favorite movies are in DTS and you don't have a way of transcoding it, then that might be a problem because I don't think that they're going to eventually add support for DTS. DTS is kind of notoriously known for having really high licensing fees and they're a small company. Now that's just my guess. It, this could be a technical technical limitation, but I don't think it is. You know, it, it's not like Dolby requires massive, or sorry, it's not like DTS requires massive processing power or or a special chip or anything like that to to decode. So my guess is this comes down to licensing, and if that is the case, I really don't think we're going to see that added. Now, my entire experience with this was very reliable. The TV was able to turn it on, turn it off whenever it needed to. I mean, I basically just forgot that it was there unless I was really thinking about things that I needed to be doing for the review. It just 
worked and gave me the audio that I was looking for out of that surround sound system. The SoundSend itself, if you want to purchase it because maybe you've already got some WISA speakers, but you're not happy with the uh, receiver or you know transceiver device that, that you've got for WISA, you can purchase it individually on its own for $179. It's available on Amazon and places like that. Or you can buy it bundled with speakers. So if you don't have anything, you can go out and buy packages that will have a complete you know, 5.1 setup with a, a sub and everything and the sound send. And it's everything you need in a box. And it's every bit as easy to hook up as a sound bar and far more versatile, a lot more customizations. And you're actually getting the speakers around your room instead of having a sound bar trying to attempt to make it sound like you've got speakers all around your room. So that's our review of the sound send. We've got a full write-up over at the digitalmediazone.com for you to dig into. I'm really impressed by this. I really love what Weiss has been doing over the last few years with wireless surround sound. Our next News story in the video segment is one related to streaming movie licensing arrangements. So this time around, we're talking about films from Universal. So the very first film that I can think of from Universal that comes to mind for me, the Fast and the Furious movies, those are Universal films. Universal has decided that all of their theatrical releases in 2022 next year and probably for quite a while after that, will go straight to Peacock 45 days after hitting theaters. So movie comes out, very first day, first 45 days, only available in theaters. It will not be available on streaming services anywhere. 45 days after it hits theaters, then it will be available on Peacock and nowhere else. And then... It'll stay on Peacock for four months before then becoming available on Amazon Prime for the next 10 months. So this is a fairly similar arrangement to what many of the other studios are doing, like Disney. You know, Disney puts out a new movie, it stays in theaters for a little while, and then it comes to Disney Plus before it then gets released to other options. So this is really not a surprise, I don't think, to anybody that that Universal would then use their own streaming service, Peacock, to deliver their movies. It's unfortunate that they're still sticking with that 45-day theater exclusivity window, because I think over the last 20 months of this pandemic, we've gotten pretty used to the idea of being able to watch movies on the day they come out at home in our home theaters. It's been pretty nice. We've done it a few times. And I would continue to do it. You know, I'm really excited about the Matrix movie that's coming out in just a couple of weeks. I'm going to go see it in in theaters the night that it comes out for sure. But I have a feeling I'm going to freaking love that movie. And I I would continue to watch it. I would watch it again at home, you know, a couple days later, a week later, the next weekend. Who knows? It's Christmas. I've got time off. I would gladly watch that movie a couple of times during that break. And I'm going to be able to because it's going to be available on a streaming service. Peacock and Universal, not exactly doing the same thing. I understand why. 
we do need to keep these movie theaters in business. This will help movie theaters. So I get that. I'm not complaining too much. It's been nice to be able to watch movies at home, but it's not the end of the world for me. And even though I've got this new TV that I love, and even though I've got a nice surround sound system, I still love getting to watch movies in theaters. And our last video story of this week is really good news. If you're a Roku user, Roku and Google came to an agreement at the very last minute, literally one day before YouTube was going to be yanked from the Roku platform. The two companies reached an agreement. YouTube TV and YouTube will remain on Roku for multiple years. That's pretty much all the details we have, though. We don't know how long this this agreement lasts. We don't know what it took uh, in, in terms of revenue sharing and stuff between the two platforms for this deal to happen. But it happened, and it keeps one of the most popular video streaming services out there, plus one of the most popular live TV streaming services available on the most popular streaming device available. So like this, this was one of those situations where it kind of felt like you were about ready to watch a, a car accident in slow motion or something like that, right? To, because to see Roku potentially lose YouTube would have been a massive deal. And unfortunately, they're not. So if you're a Roku user, if you're not, you're going to have your YouTube for years to come. Our only audio story of the week is a short one. It's a quick update from Sonos. Sonos had announced earlier this year when Amazon announced that they would be adding lossless audio to their Amazon Music Unlimited service. Sonos had announced, yeah, we'll support that for sure. Well, they do now. So if you have a you know, one of the newer generation of Sonos devices, I'm not going to go through and read you every single device because it's like a dozen Sonos devices. It will now support the Ultra HD and Dolby Atmos music that comes from Amazon Music Unlimited. Now, if you want the Atmos version, you're going to need one of the Atmos capable Sonos devices like the Sonos Arc, uh, soundbar and things like that. So this is all great news. If you're a Sonos user and an Amazon Music Unlimited user, you can now get your music in an even higher quality uh, audio. So that's, that's great news. While that update is a free one, our next story in the gaming segment is one that's going to set you back a couple of bills. So we've talked about the company Scuff in the past. Scuff is a company that makes really high-end premium gaming controllers that are really targeted at like the esports segment. So if you're a competitive first-person shooter player, things like that, then you've probably heard of Scuff and and maybe you even have some of their controllers. We reported a few months ago about the new Scuff controller that they had released for the Xbox consoles. Well, the, the news this week is that they're new controller for the PlayStation 5 is now available. So it's called the Scuff Reflex, and there's actually three versions of it. 
It starts at $199. There's another one at $229. And then there's the Scuff Reflex FPS that is going to set you back $259. Now, these are no ordinary gaming controllers, and they're built in partnership with Sony. So the vast majority of the functionality that you're looking for from a DualSense controller is still there. And it's built on the same tech, so you're still going to get firmware updates directly through your PlayStation and things like that. You're just going to get a lot of extra bells and whistles. So from the the more aesthetic and, and not nearly as functional aspect, the front plates are replaceable. You'll be able to buy different colors of plates, although at launch they only have black. Frankly, that feels like a little bit of a miss. You really couldn't launch it with the other colored plates. I'm not sure what happened there. They're also going to sell different colored rings that go around the thumbstick openings. Now, all of these paddles have a bunch of extra goodies too. So they have four rear paddles on on the back of the controller. They can be customized to do different actions, operate as, as different buttons on the front of the controller, things like that. They all also come with multiple sizes of thumbsticks, short, long, concave, convex, all sorts of options there based on on what you think works the best for you. Where things start to get interesting is with the Reflex FPS, because while the other two versions still support the adaptive triggers and the haptics that are built into the triggers of the regular DualSense controller, the Reflex FPS has different triggers. So in they can't have the haptics and, and all of that other functionality built into them. Instead, this is a controller that's just made for you first-person shooter fans out there. And it has a toggle switch on the the thumbstick or not on the thumbsticks, on the triggers that allow you to switch it from operating as as a normal trigger to requiring a much shorter throw on the trigger. They say that it's basically the same as is going from a, a very long trigger pull on, on a regular controller to something equivalent to the very short press of a mouse button. So the, the big advantage there is the less time it takes you to actually fully push that button, the sooner it is you're firing a shot in your, in your first-person shooter. And that can make a difference for competitive players. Don't know that anything, even this $260 controller, would make me much better at Call of Duty. I kind of feel like a, a lost cause at that at this point there. But I I would try it. I'm just not I, I just the the pricing on these is just incredible to me. And it, it it's not this isn't me slamming the the PlayStation version here, although it is more expensive, but it's not like the Xbox versions are inexpensive. They they have two versions of the Xbox controller. One of them is $170, the other is $200. $200 is still a lot of money for a controller. $260 is more than half the cost of a PlayStation 5. That's just so much money to be spending on a controller. Now, if you are an esports gamer and you're in competitive tournaments and things like that, this is this probably makes lots of sense for you. 
but for the for the more casual fan, wow, that is a lot of money for a controller. Scuff is known for their quality though, so I would expect that you are getting a very nice product out of this Scuff Reflex controller for the PlayStation 5. Our next story is one that surprised me a lot. Google announced that they're going to be bringing Android games from the Play Store to Windows. And some of you might be thinking, yeah, Josh, we knew that. Duh, Microsoft announced this a while ago. No, they didn't. What Microsoft announced was that they were they had been building some functionality to run Android games on Windows or Android apps. They didn't even really focus on games. And that they were partnering with Amazon to put the Amazon App Store in Windows for you to download Android games that way. That's not what this story is. Google is doing this entirely on their own. They're not working with Microsoft here. They're they're doing this all on their own to allow you to download games from the Play Store to Windows. And that's right. I said download. We're not talking about a, a streaming gaming service here. It'll be the actual games. They also plan to support functionality similar to Xbox Play Anywhere, where you could start playing a game on your Windows PC, apparently, and then pick it up and play on your Android phone right where you left off. Seems like a a great feature to add. It seems like a pretty common feature to add at this point. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of Android games already support this. So I'm thinking that that this ends up being a a feature that, that, that they're kind of getting for free, but they want to make sure that it's called out because it is a really nice feature to have. So we don't really know any more details about it than Google's working on it. They're planning to release this in 2022, but that's it. We don't have a a time frame other than next year. So we'll keep our eyes out for this. As as I said, when Microsoft announced similar functionality, I don't entirely understand the point of this. So many Android games and, and mobile games in general are meant to be played on a touchscreen. And yes, there are plenty of touchscreen Windows devices out there, touchscreen Windows laptops. You don't really want to play a touchscreen game on a touchscreen laptop. That would be terrible and would tire out your arms from holding them up the whole time. Might work well on a service. And I I know that, that some of these Android games do support controllers. So you could hook your Bluetooth controller up to your Windows PC and play Android games that way. And that might be fairly popular. This just, it feels kind of, kind of weird. I'm not exactly sure what, what the target market here is is for this. Are there Android games that you're looking to play on your Windows PC? Like I know some people are doing it, right? There's there's BlueStacks for a reason. BlueStacks is an app that will allow you to install Android games on your PC. But are people mostly using that for games or are they using that for Android apps that they can't run on a Windows PC? I don't know. So if if you're excited about this and if you're using something like BlueStacks to to play Android games on a computer right now, I'd like to hear about it. What is so compelling on Android that you had to find a way to play it on your PC and actually found a good way of playing it on your PC? Because Android games are not optimized for keyboard and mouse play. Our last gaming story is also a PC gaming story. Microsoft is renaming something, and this time they're actually renaming it for the better. So 
we've had a few different flavors of Xbox Game Pass for the last couple of years. This is Microsoft's game subscription service. And the version of it that was the most confusing for many people was Xbox Game Pass for PC. It's a PC gaming service. Why does it have the word Xbox in it? And we know the answer to that. It's because Xbox is the gaming brand from Microsoft. But it's confusing. If if it's called Xbox Game Pass, blah, 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 it doesn't really matter what any of those words are after Xbox, right? It, your brain is just going to think the Xbox game console. So I think they had a lot of uh, uh, trouble explaining that. And, and anytime you're explaining, you're losing, right? That's what they say in politics all the time. If you have to explain what this thing is, it's too complicated of a name. So they're renaming it to PC Game Pass. Perfect. It's short. It's super clear. It's obvious. It's to the point. It's the right name for this. Absolutely. Nothing else is changing about the service. It's still Game Pass. It's still the same library of games that are available on your PC. They don't require you to have an Xbox Live Gold subscription. That's another thing that's kind of cleared up by not having the name Xbox in the the name of the service. It's still just PC games available on your PC from Microsoft through their subscription. Xbox Game Pass Ultimate is not changing. Game Pass Ultimate, of course, being the super combination service that gives you PC Game Pass and Xbox Game Pass and Xbox Live Gold and Xbox Cloud Gaming. That that's still out there. That's still 15 bucks a month. Uh, PC Game Pass remains at $10 a month. Okay, so that does it for our news this week. Getting into what's going on in my entertainment center. I've watched a little bit of stuff, but it's really just been bits and pieces of things here and there just to enjoy my new TV. You know, I, I watched a little bit of The Matrix and things like that, although planning to rewatch all of The Matrix movies in preparation for the new movie coming out in, and I should know, I think it comes out the 22nd. So that's only eight days away. I got to get a move on that. Three movies is going to take a while. So while I haven't really been watching much, I did play more Forza Horizon 5, still absolutely love that game, still been playing a fair amount of NHL 22, still love that game even with all of its flaws, Uh, but frankly, it's more about the experience of getting to play hockey with other people. I've got a, a group of guys that I play with a lot regularly now, and it's generally, as long as things aren't going completely terribly, a lot of fun. So the the other thing that that's been going on is I finally decided when when my wife said, "Hey, you remember when we we used to occasionally watch American Ninja Warrior as a family? Let's do that again." And I said, "Ooh, that's on Hulu, and Hulu still isn't working correctly on the Nvidia Shield." Well, that 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 was finally the the straw that broke the camel's back, and I decided it, it's time to just wipe this thing, do a factory reset on the NVIDIA Shield and see if that fixes my problems because I haven't been able to watch Hulu. I haven't been able to use the screensaver functionality, which is now a lot more important to me. Having an OLED, I do not want to risk burn-in on that thing. So last Saturday, I did a full factory reset on the NVIDIA Shield. 
man, it's kind of a pain, you know, like having to reinstall all of those streaming apps, log into all of those streaming apps is a pain. You know, I'd also had a Plex server set up on there, a channels DVR server set up on there. So I had to redo all of that. Now that's not as awful. You know, it's not like we're recording a lot of things and things like that. That's really more for live TV and and the occasional recording, but still that ended up being a couple of hours of my life on a weekend that I wasn't really planning on spending, but it all worked out for the best. Hulu's working again. The screensaver is working again. I was able to install that photo screensaver app and I'm loving that. And so everything is good again on my NVIDIA Shield. It's amazing to me that that device, which I'm pretty sure came out in 2015, is still my go-to streaming device. And it's the go-to streaming device for a bunch of you out there. It's still a very powerful streaming device. It never has any performance issues. It just works. And despite the fact that it is a six-year-old Android device, it still keeps getting updated. How many other Android devices can you say that about? Probably none. It's pretty awesome. So still very happy with that NVIDIA Shield. I think it was probably the best 200 bucks I ever spent on something for the living room. All right, well, that's going to do it for this week. If if you like this show and you want to help us out, the best way you can do that is just by spreading the word. We love sharing this news with all of you, and we'd love to share it with even more people. And then to get more feedback and questions and, and input from all of you on you know what we're talking about and, and the latest news from the week. So do us a favor and share the show with some friends of yours, whether that's just telling them about it in person or sharing it on social media, Twitter, Facebook, all over the place. We would appreciate that a lot. We're on Facebook at Richard Gunther, at Josh Pollard, and at DigiMediaZone. We're in a few other places too. We've got the email address. All of that other contact information is over with the show notes with links to every story we talked about tonight over at thedigitalmediazone.com. And you can also go there typically Tuesday nights to be a part of the live show. Didn't record it live tonight since it's just me, but you know, most weeks when, when we have both me and Richard available, we like to record the show live using Twitch. And there's a live chat room that you can participate in. And it's a lot of fun for us. And I think it's a lot of fun for the people who regularly show up too. So follow us on Twitter because we always tweet about when the live show will be airing so that you don't miss a single one. And hopefully we'll be back next week uh, with a live show because that's going to do it for episode 573. I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios.